What's up everybody, you're listening to The Raven's Grove, I'm your host Dahi, and this episode is a second instalment in our segment, Symbols, Artwork and Artifacts, where we'll be taking a look at some of the most well-known symbols and artifacts from ancient civilizations, and how they're portrayed and even misrepresented in the modern day. It's been a long time since we've done one of these, so today, we're going to be looking at a culture that has had and continues to have a massive influence on my daily life, the Vikings. So first off, let's take a look at what the Viking Age actually was. The the term Viking Age refers to a period of roughly 250 to 300 years during the Iron Age. Common consensus in academia and archaeology is that the Viking Age started with the raid on the Holy Isle Lindisfarne on the 8th of June 793 CE and ends sometime in 1066 CE. If you've listened to the Warfare Through History episodes on the Vikings, you got a pretty good idea of what Viking era warfare was like, but this episode isn't about warfare, it's about some of the artwork and symbols used in Viking culture. Now, I say Viking culture, but in reality, the term Viking actually means something along the lines of raider or explorer. In short, it's a job description rather than an ethnic group. Basically, the Vikings came from three places in Scandinavia, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. At the time of the Vikings, these people were known as the Norse, the Geats, and the Danes. Though, it must be said that in Saxon writings from that time, the term Dane is actually used as an umbrella term for anyone who came from Scandinavia in a longship, regardless of whether or not they came from Denmark. Through their travels, and yes, it has to be said, raiding, the Norse, the Geats, and the Danes settled in Finland, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany, Italy, Spain, Portugal, Estonia, Ukraine, Belarus, Russia, Turkey, Iceland, the Faroe Islands, Greenland, and even Newfoundland in Canada. See, Norse culture wasn't just one homogenous group of people of Scandinavian descent. Point of clarification here, I will be using the term Norse culture to refer to Viking culture as a whole, except when explicitly using other terms. Through strategic marriages, the trading of slaves, and traveling to the place I just mentioned, Norse culture during the Viking Age was actually surprisingly multi-ethnic. In fact, a recent study of paternal and maternal DNA strands in a sample group of Iceland's population showed that approximately 19% of Icelandic men can trace back through their paternal line and 62% of Icelandic women can trace back through their maternal line to settlers from Ireland or from somewhere in the UK. In addition, archaeologists on excavations on a Viking-era gravesite in Berka in Sweden have found Arabic coins and even a carved stone Buddha statue on, in the grave goods. This conclusively proves that the Norse had contact with the Arab world, as well as through the Silk Road Imperial China. Now, now that we've dispelled the notion that the Norse Geats and the Danes were cultures of only white people, as some white, ring, uh, white supremacists and right-wing people seem to think, let's take a look at their artwork. Norse artwork has got quite a, different, uh, quite a few different styles and representations, such as rune stones, wooden carving, ornamentation on weaponry, various forms of jewelry, and even decoration on items of clothing. Now, that's a lot of different forms, and to be honest, I do not know enough about a lot of them in order to tell you in detail. So for today, we're going to limit ourselves to just looking at some of the most famous examples of woodworking in the Viking era. See, one thing you may not know about me is I'm actually a woodworker in real life. It's kind of a hobby. It's my way of honoring the memory of my late grandpa, who was an expert woodworker. I'm predominantly a pyrographer, meaning I use a red-hot nib through an electrical current to burn designs directly onto the wood. A lot of pyrography is done by lasers these days, and that's fine if you've got a huge client base or a lot of stock to sell, but every single one of the pieces I make is hand-carved, hand-sanded, hand-burned, and hand-oiled by myself. 
I've been doing woodworking since 2018 and pyrography since early 2019. So for me, it is uh, archaeological artifacts of woodworking are a source of absolute fascination. You see, unless it's under very specific circumstances, wood really doesn't survive very well in the archaeological record. It's very, very rare. In fact, the wooden artifact has to be in an environment with a very limited supply of oxygen to survive at all. Which is why most of the wooden artifacts that archaeologists have unearthed have been found in swamps or wetlands, or they've been found completely underwater, like shipwrecks. Like a famous example of this is the Mary Rose, a Tudor-era ship that went down in the English Channel. They had some amazing finds on that. Look it up. The point is that this is because that water typically has a much lower oxygen level than air, and as such, the decaying process is much slower than in regular conditions. Now, don't get me wrong, the wood still does decay. But it's a much slower rate. Instead of being gone in about a decade or two, instead it is gone in centuries. See what I mean? So now that we have a basic understanding of why wood is so rare in the Viking archaeological record, we come to Viking era wooden carvings. Now, one thing you have to remember about every wooden carving from the Viking era that archaeologists have found is that in that time, the Norse, Geats, and Danes did not have access to two saws. This means that every single piece of woodworking that has ever been found that is conclusively known to be Viking is carved with the natural grain of the wood. Everything, from uh, a spear shaft to a shield, from a bed frame to the prow of the longship, was carved with the grain of the wood, not against it. Now, this is a truly incredible feat, especially when you see them, you see some precision on pieces like the Osberg ship. And you know what? I'm going to geek out a bit about the Osberg ship because this is my podcast and I can do what I want. Firstly, dimensions. It is uh, The Osberg ship is 21.58 meters, uh, 70.8 me- feet long, and 5.10 meters, or 16.7 feet, across, with a mass of approximately 9 to 10 meters in height, that's 30 to 33 feet. It's a type of ship called a carve, which is spelled K-A-R-V-E. It's a type of longship, with a quite small type of longship, with a very broad hull, similar to the Nord ships that were used for ocean-going cargo transport. Carve ships were used both for war and for ordinary transport, carrying people, goods, and or livestock. The Osprey ship is also clink-built which means that the planks that make up the hull are overlapping each other. Now, clinker isn't the prominent style of wooden shipbuilding even after the time of the Vikings, but clinker-style buildings can actually be seen in the US and Australia. We just call that kind of house weatherboard. So yeah, a weatherboard house is actually using the same kind of idea for overlaying the the planks of wood as a clinker hull. Clinker-style ships eventually gave way to Carvel-style shipbuilding due to the demand for great cargo capacities that the clinker hull was capable of. Now, for reference, Carvel-style ships were the style used in ocean-going vessels from the 1500s through to the Industrial Revolution's building of metal ships. Now, that being said, clinker-style hulls and ships are still actually around the modern day. They're just not the common part. A lot of small, wind- or oar-powered fishing or pleasure vessels, especially in Scandinavia and Scotland, are actually of clinker hull construction, and there are quite a few modern reconstructions of Viking-era ships that are able to sail across oceans. They've done it to prove it can be done. It's actually really interesting. So, getting back to the Osberg ship, it had uh, it's almost entirely made of oak, and given the mast size, it likely had a, sca- a sail size of around 90 square meters, which is 970 square feet. 
meaning that it could have achieved speeds of up to 10 knots, which is pretty fast for that kind of ship. Now, that's approximately 19, point, 19 kilometers per hour or 12 miles per hour. Now, that is a wind and oar-powered ship, and speaking of someone who did sailing and rowing in high school, that is an insanely fast ship. The Oswego ship had 15 openings for oars, allowing up to 30 people to row it. Other fittings include a broad steering board, aka a rudder, the uh, an iron anchor, a gangplank, and a baler, aka a device for getting rid of excess water that's gotten into the boat. But for me, the reason I want to geek out, about, geek out about this ship is because of the carvings on the bow and stern of the ship. They are extremely elaborate carvings in the gripping beast style, which is also known as the Osberg style after this ship. After the ship, pause this episode, look at the Osberg ship carvings on Google Images, and then come back. I'll wait. Absolutely incredible, isn't it? Now, the reason here's the reason why I love the ship. Not only were those carvings all done following the natural grain of the wood, they were all done by one lone car- craftsman. That for me is genuinely mind blowing. Like the amount of detail and beauty in those carvings that we've unearthed, all done by one car- craftsman with the natural grain of the wood. It's absolutely incredible. So yeah, that's um. Yeah, it's one of my favorite pieces of Viking archaeology. I really want to share it with you guys. Anyway, that's what been all for today. Uh, thanks for listening to Grove. I'm Indahi. You've been awesome. I'll talk to you in the next episode. See ya.